I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to be there in just a couple of moments. Um, Let's catch up here for just a moment about where we've been up to this point. Uh, We are in this kind of mini-series, about six weeks or so, of talking about uh, groundworks. That's what we're calling it, groundworks. And really it's talking about the very basics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Today we're talking about being a servant. The first week that we were together, um, we talked about the gospel. Okay, what is that good news of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus in my place. Jesus died in my place. Pastor Rick then talked about being a worshiper. We're always worshiping something or someone. But a disciple of Jesus is a worshiper of God. Last week, Pastor Dwayne talked with us about being a family member. So as a church, we are a part of the family of God. So what does it mean to be a church member? And he walked through 10 of those one another's that we find in God's Word that talk about what it means to love one another, serve one another, to be a a good spiritual family member. Today, as we talk about this idea of being a servant, there's a phrase that goes with this, and, and I'll put it up on the screen so that you can look at it and remember it. A disciple gladly gives of themselves for the good of others. A disciple gladly gives of themselves for the good of others. Now, as we move through our time this morning, um, we are going to, uh, to really kind of talk about this idea of being a servant. And I'm going to start by asking this question. What kind of servant are you? What are you a servant to? Romans chapter 6 is going to explain to us that we are all a servant of something. From the time we're, a, we're born, we're a servant of something. William Ernest Henley is famous for writing the poem Invictus, in which he ends this poem by saying, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, just those, those, That one phrase at the end of Invictus is, is rememberable. Now, we can think all day long, I am the master of my fate, or I am the captain of my soul, but the reality is that we are all servants to something. So we're going to read Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15, and we're going to find out what we are a servant to, okay? Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And he's talking about obedience to God there. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What Paul's saying is that you're either a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. When it comes to your spiritual being that then translates into all other facets of life, you are either enslaved to sin or you're enslaved to God and his righteousness. And listen, there's no in-between. There's no other alternative. It's one or the other. You're a slave to sin, or you're a slave to righteousness. I hope that you are a slave to righteousness. 
when it comes to your spiritual life. I hope that you're pursuing what is good and right and that you're committed to following God no matter what. I hope that you put to death that sin that chokes you out and that you're not enslaved to it anymore. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. It seems like it's the right way. It looks like it's the right way, but it's going to lead you to destruction. That sin looks really, really good. But God calls us to something that is much, 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 much greater, that leads to life that is fulfilling, not only in this life, but in the life that is to come. A person who is enslaved to God has a destiny that is like no other person. When we are like Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 6, set free from sin and, and we become slaves of righteousness, there is no greater place to be. And I really wanted to start our time today talking about this idea of a servant, a slave, by challenging us to think of ourselves as a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. If you are a slave to sin, then get out while you can. Because there's coming a day in which it's going to be too late. And you will spend forever in a very literal hell. Become that slave to righteousness. And if you want to know more about what that looks like, to be delivered from sin to righteousness, from darkness to light, as Ephesians chapter 2 calls it. If you want to know more about what that looks like, come talk to me afterwards or get in touch with me somehow or another Christian friend that you know that can show you what it looks like to move from being a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. But once you're a slave of righteousness, once you're a disciple of Jesus, once you're a, a child of God, a Christian, what does it look like to be a good servant? That's what we're going to talk about here for the next little while, okay? A good servant. We're talking about this idea of, of groundworks, of, of cultivating a life that is fruitful for the glory of God. So what does it look like to be a good servant and how does that fit with there, okay? I'm going to first share with you three ways that, um, that we see that we can be a servant, and then after that, we're going to talk about some characteristics of serving, okay? First of all, we are a servant of others. And you can write this in your handout. You've got plenty of room there. There's three blanks. Look at the first three blanks here first. Servant of others. The idea is that we serve other people, okay? And this could be any other person. It's not limited in who we, in who we serve. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is teaching, and here's what we find. I'll read this for you, okay? Matthew 22, starting in verse 35, Jesus said, or we read this. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. That's scary, isn't it? One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. But Jesus is the, is the king of answering lawyers here, okay? Here's what he says. Teacher... Which is the great commandment in the law? That's the question. Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then he says, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What he's saying is that number one in importance is that you love the Lord with everything inside of you. Everything that you are, you're to love God with that, but then equally important is that you love other people, get this, as much as you love yourself. Now, there are times that I love me some kivet. There's times that you love yourself, and it comes across in one way or the other, but when we love somebody else the way we love ourselves, 
then we're deeming them as more important, at least as important, as more important than we ourselves are. When you love other people as much as you love yourself, it's natural that you're going to start to serve them and make sure that their needs are met and that they're taken care of. I've got a neighbor who lives just, just right down the street from me. It's an elderly couple. Um, they've been, been in church for many, many years. It's, it's not this church. It's another church here in town. But he told me he came to know Jesus as his Savior pretty much kind of in the middle of his life. And it completely changed him. He said, you know, I wasn't a bad person before, but I just thought about myself all the time. But after he became a believer, he grew to love other people in ways that he had never loved people before. And when he started loving people, he figured out how fulfilling it was to serve other people. He and his wife would cook these big meals for, for a whole bunch of people and invite them over and just make sure that anyone eating with them was well taken care of. That was one of the ways that he served other people. You see, when Jesus changed him, he grew to love people. And when he grew to love people, he naturally began to serve people. That's how this whole progression works. And it's not abnormal. It's, it's supposed to work this way. In fact, I would say that if, if there's not a desire to serve other, other people, then there's reason to wonder, what's going on with your faith? What's going on with your salvation here? There should be a desire to serve other people because when Jesus changes you, you love people. And when you love people, you serve people. Next, a disciple is a servant of the church. So not only are they a servant of others, they're a servant of the church. Galatians chapter 6, Paul's addressing the church, and here's what he says. He says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love that word especially. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. As there's a chance, do good to everyone, but especially to those who are a part of the, of the church. Now, why did Paul include that word especially there? Why not just keep it a blanket statement of, of serve everyone, love everyone, right? Well, I think it's because he's thinking of Jesus' words when Jesus was very clear that his followers were to love each other because it was by their love for each other that the world would know that they are his disciples, I think that's what Paul's thinking of there. So as you serve other people in the church, as you serve the church, you're showing the world through your love for them that you're my disciple. When the church first got started, one of the things radically different for them, for these new believers, is that they cared for and they loved each other. They were living in a culture that was really similar to ours today where most of the time people just watch out for themselves. And if, if they watch out for anybody else, it's a part of their family. They watch out for their family. In, in biblical times, in times in which Jesus is writing here, oftentimes there, you, would have, you would have one family home, but inside that home is a whole lot of people. It's the extended family. So as the family grows, you add another room onto the house, and, and the, the, the house just kind of grows. And if you watched out for anybody, it was the people in your house. But all of a sudden, these Christians are watching out not just for the people in their house, but the household of faith as a whole. People who don't look like them, they're serving. People who don't talk like them, maybe even speak the same language, they're serving. People who are not their physical brother or sister, no, they're serving their brother and sister in Christ now. 
It's radically different from anything that was going on in this culture, and it's an amazing thing to see. And all of a sudden, people are seeing this radical difference, and people are coming to faith in Jesus because of it. That's why it's so important for us as a, as a church to serve each other, to love each other. One of the greatest things we can ever do as Christians is to serve other Christians, to serve the church. Oftentimes, just a simple question of, how can I serve you? goes a really long way. So I'm going to come back to that question here in just a few moments. How can I serve you? I'll come back to that. But then third, a disciple is a servant of the Lord. They're a servant of the Lord. Think about Samuel here for a moment, okay? Old Testament Samuel. He's really, really, really young, and the Lord comes calling, and how does Samuel respond? He says, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And then that attitude carries with him all throughout his life. He's, he's characterized by his servanthood of the Lord. He served the Lord with everything inside of him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So no matter what you do, as a Christian, you are to do it as if you're serving the Lord directly. And that applies to ministry settings. When you're serving through the church, it applies to um, maybe your family settings or personal settings. No matter what you do, do, as, do it as if you're directly serving God. Earlier, Pastor Rick mentioned for you that, um, that Hazel Thomas went home to be with the Lord this week. She passed away on Friday. We're going to have a, a memorial service for her. It'll probably be next Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock here in, here in our Salem Auditorium. We'll let you know more about that later. But out at Camp Marywood, there is an arch bridge. And I'll show you a picture of that bridge. Okay? Many of you have seen this arch bridge before. And um, it's a really important bridge. In fact, if you didn't have that bridge, you'd be walking a really long way around the lake this way, or you'd be walking a long distance around the other way to get to the activities on the other side of, of the lake. So that bridge is really, really important, important to the camp. But there's a cool story about how that bridge came about. Years ago, um, Hazel Thomas had a cow that was her own. Now, her husband Burton had many cows, but she had one cow. And every year, that cow had twin calves. And after the having the calves, Hazel would sell the calves to provide a little bit of income for herself. One year after having twins, um, that, uh, that cow decided that it only wanted one calf, and it wouldn't let the other calf have any milk. Kept pushing it away, and by the time Burton and Hazel realized what was happening, the orphan calf was half dead, and they carried it up to near their house, and they tried to bottle feed it. But the calf was so weak that it wouldn't drink any of the milk that they were offering. And here's a prayer that Hazel prayed. She said, Lord, if you let this calf live, I'll sell him when he gets big, and I'll give you all the money to you. But as soon as she prayed that, she said it was like the Lord responded back right away, well, what about the good calf? Are you willing to give the good one to me or just the runt? And immediately she was convicted. And she promised the Lord that she would sell the healthy calf and give the money to him. So when that calf got big enough to sell, she sold it and she gave the money to the camp so that they could buy the lumber for that arch bridge. Now, I've walked across that bridge hundreds of times. I've never thought about the sacrifice that it took from somebody to build that bridge. And here's what happened. Hazel realized that she could be a servant of the Lord by giving something that she didn't have to give. 
But the benefit of that, the multiplication that's come from that has been enormous. That's what it means to be a servant of the Lord. It's understanding that what you have is not really yours. Your body, your finances, your resources, your family, all of it's not really yours. It's to be used for the glory of God and the good of other people. You give of yourself for the good of other people. That's being a servant of the Lord. You want to know who the greatest servant is? Take your Bibles and turn to John 13. Because when we talk about being a servant, we can't help but look at, look at Jesus' example to help us know how to do it. John chapter 13 is the night before Jesus is going to be killed, it's the Last Supper. Judas Iscariot is still in the room. Judas is about to betray Jesus. And Jesus knows what Satan has put in his heart. But Jesus takes on the form of a shoeshine boy. The equivalent of a shoeshine boy in this culture. Starting in verse 1, John 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your teacher, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. For I have given you an example, Jesus says, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Church, if the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the one who, the Bible says, holds the world together in his hand, if he can stoop to the level of washing his disciples' feet, of serving his disciples in that way, then why can't we do the same thing? Last week, Dwayne shared with you, in, in talking about serving one another, he shared the phrase, it's not about titles, it's about towels. 
It's not about titles and and the the statuses you can have in this world. It's about towels and serving. Are we as Christians willing to pick up our towels and serve other people? To serve the church, to serve the Lord. But how do we do that? How do I live my life as a real servant? What does that practically look like? And I'm going to give you just a few short, simple statements to help us understand this. Okay, I encourage you to write them down. Number one, real servants are self-forgetful. Real servants are self-forgetful. Philippians chapter 2 that says that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant. He didn't consider his sovereignty as something to be held on to, but he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is the lowest, most brutal death that anyone could experience. Jesus forgot about himself, forgot about who he was, forgot about his title, and he considered the good of other people over his own good. You know, a lot of times I feel like our service is actually self-serving. We're doing that service to get noticed. We want other people to see us. Look at that person doing that great thing for the other person. We want people to comment on it. And some people try to use service as a bargaining chip for God. Hey, God, listen, I'll do this for you if you do such and such for me. I'll make this sacrifice if if you give me this in return. But a real servant, hear me here, a real servant doesn't try to use God for their purposes. They let God use them for his purposes. Here's how you can tell if a person, if you are self-forgetful, if you're a real servant, When somebody else treats you like a servant, how do you react? When somebody else treats you like a servant, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in a restaurant, maybe it's your family, but when somebody else treats you like a servant, how do you react? Do you react in anger? Or do you react in humility? If Jesus could be treated worse than a slave... Don't you think that we can as well? Next, real servants think like stewards, not owners. Real servants think like stewards, not owners. Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot do it. He didn't say you shouldn't serve God and money. He said you can't do it. It's impossible to be a servant of God and a servant of money at the same time. So if you're going to be a servant, then the issue of money has got to be resolved in your life. People get sidetracked by materialism more than anything else. They think that if they can just make a lot of money, then they can serve God, and, and every, after that, after they make a lot of money, they can just serve God, and then everything's going to work out. What about making money and serving God? God uses some people to build his kingdom through the way that they make money. They're not a slave to their money, and they give to fund his mission to, of, of reaching people all throughout the world with the gospel. They do so through the way they give. Some people even seek to make a lot of money so that they can give a lot of money to God. There's nothing wrong with money by itself, but when you try to serve God and serve money, it just doesn't work. So a real servant is a steward. They understand that what they have is to be stewarded well for the kingdom of God. It's not like they're owners where they hold on to it. It's mine. Don't touch it. Don't come over here coming up on Christmas. They're not a Scrooge. 
their steward. Next, real servants think about their own responsibilities and not what other servants are doing. Real servants think about their own responsibilities and not what other servants are doing. A lot of Christians try to play the comparison game, trying to one-up one another in service. Oh, that person did that, so I'm going to do this, make it look like it's a bigger one, bigger service. I think many Christians get so caught up in the ways that other people are serving that they have no idea how God is calling them to serve. Romans chapter 14, verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And likewise, you will stand before your master one day, and he will judge you for how you handled what he called you to do, what he gave you. It's not up to us to critique or criticize somebody else's service. I don't know about you, but I have enough to be concerned with trying to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in my own life rather than trying to worry about other people's. I know sometimes he, he, there's a place for encouraging and come along, alongside other Christians to encourage them, but listen, not at the expense of my own responsibilities as God's servant. Then last, as we talk about these characteristics of a servant, a real servant, real servants base their identity in Christ. They base their identity in Christ. Folks, as a Christian, you are unconditionally loved and accepted by God. Your identity is not in your work. It's not in your relationships. It's not even in your service. Your identity is in the fact that God loves you, that Jesus has redeemed you, that you are not your own and that you are bought with a heavy price of Jesus' blood. No more are you a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. You don't have to have a wall full of plaques to tell other people, look at all the stuff that I've done. You're simply called to faithful service to God. That's all any of us are called to as Christians. Your value to God is not based on your service. Your value is inherent and intrinsic, and there is nothing that can separate you away from God. Because of the grace and the mercy that is offered to you, you are now free to serve. Your identity is not in your service. Your identity is in Christ, so go serve. We're not saved by our works. We talked about this several weeks ago. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to work, to serve. Church, what do you think would happen if just 25% of those people in our church made it a part of their regular conversations just to simply ask this question, how can I serve you? If they made this just a, a part of their regular conversations, how can I serve you? And honestly, I'm going to leave this as my, my ending challenge for today. Are you willing to make it a part of the rhythm of your life to just simply say, how can I serve you? Because what you do when you say that is you're telling that person, I care about you and I want to be involved in your life. And you're telling yourself, that person is just as important, if not more so, than I am. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus could do it, so can we. So church, let's be servants. Let's be servants. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be servants? Servants who honor you, 
who are not seeking any kind of recognition. We're not looking for those titles, but we're looking for the towels. Believing, Father, that the world will know that we are your disciples when we have love for each other and that love, out of that love, comes service for each other. Father, help us to be the church, to be individual disciples within the church that serves one another. We serve others, we serve the church, and we serve you. Help us to do it faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.